In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I affirm a no in the first person, but I welcome your agreement with these ideas. For there's only one. There's an unseen wholeness that we participate in. Our life, my life, is God's life. And so I recognize that life. And in the recognition, I am shifted and changed because my awareness is upon that. My beingness is upon that. My devotion and my love is upon that. And so everywhere I look, I see the presence of God. And I affirm and know that that presence, that vibrational frequency, that vibration of the Most High is who and what I am. It's who and what everyone is. That spark of perfection and divinity that lives in all of life, from the smallest to the grandest. Whatever it may be, however it shows up, all God in form. And so I'm so grateful to be alive in this dimension, in this, this mansion as the, the great Nazarene talked about. There are many mansions in the Father's house. And to be alive in this mansion and to know that we are in that hidden wholeness, one with all that is seen and tangible and all that is unseen and the forces of good that are working upon us and directing and nurturing and guiding us. And so I say yes to all of that. I know something powerful and beautiful is moving in and through and as myself this day because each day I get up and invite that and welcome that. For that is my freedom and that is my opportunity and that is my choice. That God's life is my life. And what is mine to do is made clear to me and obvious and I have everything I need in this moment to fulfill that. The next step, the next idea, the next choice. For this I give thanks knowing that each and every one of us is blessed beyond measure. That the awarenesses that bubble up uniquely and powerfully in and through and as each and every one of us. We have the clarity of mind, the presence of being, and the peace in our hearts and the knowingness to recognize it, to welcome it, to expand it, and to apply it somewhere meaningful and impactful upon this beautiful planet. For this we have come. For this I am so grateful. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. So we were in Victoria, and I've never gone whale watching, but I was on the whale watching. Laura and I went, and it was a lovely day and beautiful, and and um, they take you out. And actually, I knew we went into U.S. waters because I knew it because I pulled my cell phone out and said, welcome to the U.S. And would you like a new pro, uh, a plan on your cell phone for being in the U.S.? I thought, wow, we could land in Washington State right now. But anyway, as I was on the whale watching and watching whales, because that's what you do on a whale watch, and it was lovely because we were floated out and there was this beautiful humpback whales. And we, and we were, it's so lovely to go and be so respectful. We went and visited the whales. You know, they, they weren't netted and put into a, Aquarium, and we press our nose up against the glass while we eat our popcorn and look at them. It was their space, and we watched them from a distance. But I thought, what should I talk about on Sunday? And then I realized, wait a minute, whales? What should I talk about on Sunday? So I wanted to share with you today this idea of Jonah and the whale of paradox. 
Because, you know, that Jonah got swallowed by the whale. You know that story, most of us. Anyway, I'm going to invite you right now, before we go into that, to stand up, find someone that you can interact with, because we're going to do our greeting, our acknowledgement, our, our affirming of the two or more. And so as you find a partner, someone that you can interact with. Come on, Mitch, you and I. So I'm going to have Mitch as my partner today. Come on up, buddy. So look that person in the eyes if you're comfortable holding their hands and say, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being alive on the planet at this time. Thank you for being alive on the planet at this time. You have gifts to share. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal. You have power to reveal. What else is it? <laughs> Good morning. Blessings. Good morning. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We get to connect. And if you connected with a stranger today, even better. Even more exciting. But it is lovely. So, as you know, I, I told the joke about Jonah and the whale, the little girl sitting, and I'll just repeat it because it's one of my favorite little stories about the story of Jonah, where the little girl is in Catholic school, and she says to the sister who had just introduced the idea of Jonah and the whale to them, and so the little girl went home and Wikipedia and said, you know what, sister, I just checked it out, and the whale would not be able to swallow a man because the, the throat passage is too small. And the sister said to her, well, with God, God, all things are possible, which is a very popular idea, right? So... And so the little girl said, yeah, but it's just not, you know, well, couldn't do that. And she said, well, she, the little girl said, well, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if that happened. And she said, well, but what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, well, then, sister, you ask him. <laughs> and I like that story because I think it's just so innocent and could be true. And if it's not, it should be. But anyway, the story of Jonah. So Jonah was told by God. Pretty cool, huh? That Jonah and God had this relationship. But Jonah was instructed by God. It comes from the Old Testament. And, and that story of Jonah is probably that whole book in there, from what I've read. Of, uh, but he was supposed to go to Nineveh. And in Nineveh, it was a horrible place. Nineveh was bad, 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 bad people, bad behavior. It was just awful. And Jonah said, I ain't going there. So what Jonah did is he got on a ship and sailed in the exact opposite direction from which the divine guidance told him he should go. And so while he was on the boat, all of a sudden this horrible storm broke out. And they didn't know what to do, and they tried a few solutions, and all the sailors on the boat were petrified, and it was raging and raging. And they said, the only, the only thing, that, that the reason for this uh, happening is because Jonah's on the boat. And so there's only one thing to do, get Jonah off the boat, and finally they threw him overboard. And as soon as they threw Jonah overboard, everything got calm. Isn't that interesting? Quite a metaphor there. So Jonah's floating out in the water, and all of a sudden a big whale comes along and swallows him. And he's in the belly of the whale for three days. And where does the whale take him? Well, the whale takes him all the way over to the, sh the shore of Nineveh and regurgitates him on the beach. And there's Jonah. And so he goes into Nineveh and he preaches and says, you've got 40 days to turn this around, gang, or God's going to destroy all of it. And lo and behold, the people of Nineveh listened to him and they turned it around. But that's, you can read more about that. But that was, so the, the message there, the metaphor, see all of these stories are metaphors and examples. They are not factual. I know there are people out there that believe that the Bible is a historical document. It is not. It is metaphor. It is stories about the journey. But the point is, is that all of us, all of us are being guided towards our unique destiny. And even when we think we're fleeing it, that's part of it. See, life is not a straight line. Have you noticed that? There's chaos. Even coming back yesterday from Victoria, it was chaotic. I told Laura, I said, by the time we've sat in the airport, we could have driven home by now. 
But there's chaos. Those things happen, and there's uncertainty in it. Contradictions of life are not accidental. It's the nature of it. They are inherent in human nature and in the circumstances that surround us. If, if, and so one of the examples, if God is all-loving, I heard that as a young boy in school, if God is all-loving, all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful is omnipotent, omnipotent, why is there evil in the universe? If God's all-loving, why is there evil? Come on, what's going on here? Why do the wicked sometimes flourish when the virtuous wither? Isn't that interesting? At every level of our lives, we are stretched between two opposites that seem irreconcilable, discouraging, and defeating. And that can, be, that can be upsetting. It says in Isaiah, now Isaiah is Old Testament, just like Jonah. It says, I form light and create darkness. I form light, I create darkness. Two opposites. I make wheel and create woe. Do you know what wheel is? W-E-A-L? Come on, all you Bible scholars. Okay, it means wealth and well-being is wheel. So, creates them both. But most people in our culture would prefer to blame the devil for bad things, for woe. Correct? Anybody know anybody like that? It's a devil. It's evil. The darkness. <clears throat> I had a group that came in about two weeks ago before we left. Laura and I were gone for a couple weeks. And as I mentioned, and there was a group of 30 people. I got a call from a man that, that works out of Toronto. And, um, and so uh, he said, I have a group. We, we meet every year. It's called Empowering Edmonton. And we bring in a, a group of different people of faith traditions. And we come and we go to different communities. And we ask questions and find out what people teach. And so I thought, wow, this is great. This would be wonderful. I thought it was going to be ministers. It was actually young people. It was from the ages of mostly from 16 to 26. And so I showed them a movie on the roots of new thought, which is about 15 minutes. And it goes through a lot of the history, which is you know, interesting and fascinating, where we come from and how we arrived at where we are. And, and then I talked a bit about Dr. Ernest Holmes. And then this little boy in the front row said to me, I just have a question. And I said, sure. He said, how are you going to feel about burning in hell for eternity? And I thought, do you know something about me that I don't know? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's fascinating to, to realize that all of us start on a path. All of us are on a path, and the paths are so important. And all of us get domesticated with certain ideas. And, 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 and what happens with the path, I think for all of us, I think most of the people in this room started on a path. But after a while, your power of discernment you're relying on the, the doctrines and the dogmas of certain traditions start to loosen their influence on you and you realize that I, I must become my own discerning authority in this. Not that I'm the one authority, but I have to make the right and best decisions for myself. But until then, a path is a good thing to have. Rules and regulations are a good thing to have. An order of conduct is a, is a really good thing to have. And what I, I said to this group was, at some point, you, we confuse the path with the destination. And for me, the destination is always the connection with God. That's why I love affirmative prayer. There's one life, God's life, and that life is my life. It's not unique. One of the men that was in the group, one of the ministers said, you believe you're God. And I said, not in the context of which you are asking that question. Because I can tell from the way it's being asked that you are asking me if I think my ego and my personality are God. And that is a mistake that people make with our tradition. What I'm talking about is, is a perfection and a divinity that lives within myself and lives within you. And the more that I, I, I live from that and cultivate that relationship, my life is shifted and changes in many ways that I would not ima imagine. So today I want to share three ideas with you. The three ideas are the gift of paradox, 
the spiritual life, and possessing our hearts. <clears throat> and so paradox, the paradox of life was really inspired, and when we get a break, it's always nice because it's always fun to be able to read things I don't typically read. But I was inspired by a book called uh, The Paradox of Possibility by Parker Palmer, and he was greatly influenced by Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton was a Catholic Trappist monk who left his path. And by that, I mean he started to study other things. He studied the Tao Te Ching, which next time I'm back with you, which will be in two weeks, I'm going to use some of that beautiful, rich material. He also studied Marxism by Karl Marx. And it was very interesting what he pulled out of that because he, the, the tenets of Marxism are really caring for one another. It's really very Christian in its orientation. And, and, but what happened with Marx is Marx demanded revolution and death and violence, which he didn't agree with. But the core of it was really about caring for one another in a deep and wonderful way. So the reason I say that uh, Thomas Merton, Trappist monk, wrote 70 books, left the path because all of a sudden he was looking at other traditions. He studied Zen. He studied the, the Tao. He studied Marxism because he found the truth in them. See, there's an unhidden wholeness underneath all of it. And Dr. Ernest Holmes read every tradition in the world. He was eclectic. He took the best from all the traditions and said, perhaps this will work for you. Because we're not here to create a new religion. We're here to expand upon the possibility of being in relationship with a living God so that that may enhance our beingness, which I love. Because the path, the rules are great. You got to have the rules. I said to this group of 30, I said, you know, here's, here, let me give you this example. I said, when I get in my car to go home or go anywhere, I want to get there safely. So I drive well. But, and I also want everybody else on the road to get there safely too. So I do my best to support myself and others. But I said, I used to get on the car and, and, and be worried I was going to get a ticket because I would break the rules. I don't think like that anymore because I realize that we're all connected. My good is your good. So it's, it's the difference between stepping off the path and realizing, geez, I don't want to break one of the Ten Commandments. Have I killed anybody today? No. Good. Okay, I'm good. I'm still living in God's grace. One of them asked me, Would you, do you believe in killing people? After about the 15th time I was told I was going to burn in hell forever, I thought, well, maybe I do today. But no, I didn't say that. <laughs> But it's a challenge because it, it's, it's, you know, it's just to stand in that and realize this is where people are. And, and, and I don't say that from judgment or criticism. That reality, that truth that is so precious to them is not my truth. And, and, and the fear they have is because I'm not cherishing that, there's something wrong with me that there's something broken within me. And I said to them, you know, there's many people in the world that say, if I don't go to a certain building at a certain time, at a certain appointed time with the same people and worship in one certain way that they demand, I'm going to burn in hell forever. And I said, I don't believe in a God like that. I believe in a God of forgiveness and love. I don't believe God, despite what anyone has done, would condemn someone to burn in the eternal flames forever. I just don't believe that idea, but I understand it if you do, and I respect it, but I just don't agree with it. So it was a fascinating experience for me, and I thought, wow, isn't this interesting? To be able to stand in the contradictions. You know, I said, I believe in a God of love and forgiveness. And yet, there are, there are rules. There are right and wrong and good and bad, and I get all that. But I think it's, those are the starting points. So, so Parker Palmer says, for some of us, the tension between spirit and self is so great that they just simply give up. They say, the heck with it. And they become atheists or whatever. And, I, and some of the atheists that I read, I, I agree with the atheists because I don't believe in that God either that they're an atheist about. We turn from source. The, some of us will turn from source and walk in shadows because we do not want to see ourselves in an unbecoming light. 
Because what happens is we have to, uh, uh, we have to confront our shadows. That's the paradox of this. I told Laura a couple weeks ago before I got into this reading, I said, to me it just seems so silly that we come to this, this, this realm and we gotta keep eating. I said, there's three meals a day. I said, what's up with that? How come they couldn't have just invented us and no food necessary? Just do it. But I said, we eat. Then we gotta figure out what to do with the waste and it just goes on and on and on. It's just like, what happened? Who designed this? And yet what I know is that there's a wisdom there and there's a clarity there that all of us need time to be nourished. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. And it's not about, because when you look at it in that context, it just becomes so repetitive and sort of mindless, and yet there's a, there's a sacred quality to all of it in the way the, the universe is, was unfolding and designed for all of us. To, and to care for one another and to feed one another. But it's easy to walk away from it because it's just like, I don't want to look at the shadow. I mean, one of the things, Deepak Chopra, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook, wonderful article about Donald Trump and how he represents for so many people the shadow. And so when I, I look at Donald now, and, I, and I'm not picking on Donald, I just, he's such a great example. And, you know, I, he's a call for prayer. <laughs> well, isn't he? I mean, come on. But he represents, you know, like Deepak says, he represents our shadow. And, uh, and then when I listen to him now and he says things like that, I go, Donald, don't say that. I thought that once too, but I never said it out loud. No, no, no. Use your inside voice, not your playground voice. Stop that. But the point is, is that he's part of the world. And if there's a, there's a, a unified wholeness, we're all part of, we're, our lives are all one another's lives at that, at that quantum level of being. And so when I see him say things that I just think are ridiculous and he loves attention, you know, I, the cab driver and I on the way to the airport yesterday had a great conversation about Donald. I said, well, he loves attention. You know, and I love attention too. But I just, I just have different sensibilities about it. But the point is it's part of life and it's part of the shadow. And Donald has no hesitation in sharing his shadow, which is, as Deepak would say, interesting. But it's good to have that information. One of the things I love about our teaching is we're a wisdom teaching. And when we see people acting out in certain ways, we realize there's just certain ignorance that goes on. Because when we diminish one group so that we can... Uh, acknowledge and feel better about ourselves it's 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 a contradiction because we're diminishing ourselves so it's fascinating or number two some deny their own darkness and try to walk where their lights there's light on all the time i see this all the time i'm perfect whole and complete i'm perfect whole and complete i'm perfect whole and complete and that is true but that's only one part of the equation there's two polarities and we just keep pushing it away. We hold the dark world at bay and see, seek out situations that satisfy our needs to stay pure. In one way or another, we, we remove ourselves from the great drama of life where God and the world interact, where light and darkness come together. Have you noticed this, that life can be really chaotic at times? Life can be messy at times. That's God too. We're not here to figure it all out and understand it to be master of time, space, and dimension. That, that, let's make life, and you watch it with traditions, let's c narrow it down to the simplest components and, and that we're always right. So the simplest components that help establish me in my own righteousness. And people, there's many, many people that like that. And so then what happens is they say, let's vote. Okay, let's decide, which is gonna happen in November in the United States, we're gonna vote. And the paradox is, is to be able to stand in the contrast of our own being and understand that, that there are things that bubble up in me that I'm still surprised by. What I, what, I, what I have now is the discernment and the ability to realize, you know, I feel that way and I feel like maybe I should act on that, but I'm not gonna. Because I don't wanna, that's not gonna lead me down the path 
So there's a discernment and an awareness and a choosing, but sometimes my frustration or my anger or my judgment of others doesn't go away. But to, really, to be able to, to rein it in and say, wow, I'm going to stand in this uncomfortable space of contradiction and see what wants to happen. As, as Parker Palmer writes, the transformation of contradiction into paradox, the poles of either or, the choices we thought we had to make, we might not have to make. Maybe, they may become signs of a larger truth that we had, had ever dreamed. And in that truth, our lives may become larger than we ever imagined. So the gift of paradox is, is, to, is it's a practice. It's a spiritual practice. You realize, I don't know right now. The great thing that Ernest Holmes said about that was, I don't know, I don't know but something within me does know. Because he, he knew where to go. It didn't mean the answer showed up, boom. Because when I've used that affirmation and that invitation, many times it takes days or weeks or months for the idea to land with me. And you know in your heart of hearts. But that's standing in your own divine authority. That is in your own discernment. I mean, if you read the story of great artists and all the great saints and all the people that we admire, it wasn't like clear sailing. I mentioned St. Francis a couple weeks ago. St. Francis was troubled through his whole life, challenged, taking this vow of, of poverty and this devotion to God to rebuild this church and all of the, the the influences and the judgment that went on with him. I mean, the, the, the Catholic Church at that time didn't endorse him. They thought he was a little crazy. He was so busy loving God. And they were, they were once again, they had stepped into this whole thing of dogma and tradition and, and holding their place of, of money and power and influence. And St. Francis said, I don't want any of that. I'm just here to love God and to be of service where I am. And that's, threat, that's threatening to people. What's wrong with this guy? He's crazy. Just loving God. What's that all about? You know, here we are counting the, counting the gold and storing it away. But we see it throughout history. A paradox is a statement that seems self-contradictory, but upon investigation may prove to be essentially true. The insights of many traditions would be judged contradictions by the norms of conventional logic, but by the spiritual norms, these insights contain paradoxical truths. So in Matthew, it is written, as he says, he who finds his life will lose it. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's all about the shift in consciousness. When I was with the 30 young people a couple weeks ago, this girl stood up and said, but you have to go through Jesus Christ to get to God. And I said, well, thank you for sharing that because I would agree with you. The last 200 pages of our textbook are about the teachings of Jesus. But I said, what does that mean for you? Because it, it could, we could boil it all the way down and say, so we need to have Jesus manifest here, and I need to squeeze myself through his molecular cellular structure to get to, to God? Is that what that means? What does it mean to go through Jesus? Do I have to physically go through that body because that body's gone? Or do I have to embody the Christed nature? Do I have to give birth to that? And it's not something that we, we acquire, it's something that we awaken. That's how we would approach that. But that was, you know, and, that, and so once again, they asked me how long I thought I'd be in hell burning all by myself. But I said, I don't accept that. I don't think that's the truth for me. We don't even teach the devil here. We got nobody to blame but ourselves. The other idea is, so, this idea that love is something you give away, and you'll end up having more. I mean, there's a paradox. How can you possibly have more of what you give away? doesn't make sense. 
Wouldn't it get depleted? No, because it's an energetic. Same idea. Paradox acknowledges life's hidden wholeness, the underlying unity of all things. We're all connected, all of us. And some of the great mystics and avatars and teachers of all time have gotten that. So the spiritual life, the second point today, is spiritual life, which the paradox leads us to spiritual life. Because we have to hold the tensions. See, when we, when we want to resolve everything so we have relief, we miss sometimes the opportunity for the expansion and growth and the transformation, the incubation. Divine truth is not either or, it's both and. And not all truth is relative. There's a crucial difference between right and wrong and good and bad, as I mentioned earlier. Thomas Merton said this. I think I've got this quote. Next slide. Thomas said this, our first need is to release the tensions, but to live in the contradictions. So to live in the contradictions of curiosity. What is this about me? What, what p- propels me in this direction? The fully aware of the poles which our lives are stretched. And as we do so, we are plunged into paradox at whose heart we will, tra- we will find transcendence and a new life. Our lives will be changed. Our beliefs and our actions will become more responsive to God's spirit, but that it will only happen as we become engulfed in the contradictions that only God can resolve. So once again, it's not that we have all the answers. There's certain things we don't know that we probably will never know. But I don't stand alone in this. There's something within me that does know. What's important for me to know about this is made clear to me now because something within me does know. And it has brought me into this, to this point of confusion or darkness in the belly of the whale, that metaphor, because I'm being drafted to my destiny. I think all of us have a divine destiny. We've all incarnated here to fulfill something. And whether we're running from it or we're running to it, we're, we're heading there. And the whale is ready to spit us out on the beach, whether we like it or not. There's rites of passage in society. They say that within society, to, to live a full and complete life, there have to be rites of passage about four significant rites of passage in the lives of every man and every woman is what's required. And what's happened for many is that we have not allowed those rites of passage to happen. So the rite of passage is where we're, we're put into an environment where there's tremendous, tremendous trauma. That we, there's, none of it looks familiar. We don't know what to do. We're lost. But what grows out of that is a deeper relationship with that divine presence within us. What grows out of this is a trust and a faith to realize, wow, I got through that. I didn't know how I was going to get through that, but I got through that. And something grows within us. But those, and you look at indigenous cultures, they have these rites of passage. Very important. So like Jonah, we will be delivered only if we allow ourselves to be swallowed into the darkness. That darkness are those traumas, those situations that seem overwhelming. And that's when we have to be present with ourselves, not to try to dampen it, not to try to numb it, but to be present with it. And that requires a grace and a faith. And, and you can see when those things happen too, many people will dive back into that original path and say, well, these, this is the order that was given me to sustain myself and I'll follow these rules. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we all grab on to that, that spiritual life raft that is required at those points in time where the transformation can take place. Jesus and the prophets and many mystics tried to give voice to the living experience of God. See, Jesus came along at a time, I just read uh, um, uh, parts of uh, Reza Aslan's book, The Zealot, which is a wonderful book, and it talks about the historical time that Jesus was, was alive and, and uh, 
and the work he did. And so much of the information we have, the Romans wrote down everything. The Romans did two things. They killed a lot of people, and they wrote everything down. We know what a bushel of wheat cost in Jesus' day. And Jesus in Nazareth, we even know what Nazareth looked like. It was about 100 huts of mud and stone. There was no synagogue there. There was a Jewish community. There was no temple. There was no commerce to speak of. They went to the neighboring town for the things they needed and to work. So he grew up in tremendous poverty. He was influenced by that. He was conditioned by that tremendous poverty. Jesus never spoke in a Gentile environment. And what's significant about that is he wasn't trying to create Christianity. Bishop Spung, I showed the movie a couple months ago, beautiful, brilliant scholar. God is not a Jew. God is not a Christian. God is not a Catholic. God is not a Muslim. But we put these man-made constraints on it so we can have a context for ourselves culturally and spiritually. But God is more than that. But we have to have a path. And what Jesus did was he went off the path because he realized he was influenced by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that said the kingdom is at hand, and Jesus was his student. And John the Baptist was such a rebel rouser, they finally cut his head off. Jesus did three years of, of, of his, his going off the path, his own discernment and understanding that the kingdom of, of God is at hand. And then his brother James spent the next 30 years teaching. James was the one that brought the teaching to the world. James and Peter. And then, and then Paul, who wrote... Paul was in parallel to them, and they went back and forth and fought all the time because Paul thought he was right. <laughs> Go figure. And James and Peter felt they were being true to what Jesus was trying to say. Was He was simply trying to, rever he was trying to wake up the Jewish community because at the time, it was all about paying homage to the powers that be, paying uh, homage to the, to the temples and to the, to the rabbis, all that stuff that was empty. Jesus said, you have to polish the inside of the cup. You're all polishing the outside of the cup. They didn't like that. It was very unpopular. Got him killed. But, but he understood. And so he was really about his, his relationship with a God that was alive. That's what I love about Ernest Holmes, the teachings of Jesus. God is alive now, today. And the more I can welcome that and live from that, my life has changed. My beliefs are changed. My fears are dampened. And I can stand in the, the contradictions and the paradox and the chaos of this. We can stand in the world and realize, oh, we have two. You can look at the world and you can look at uh, beloved Donald Trump. And you can look at beloved Hillary Clinton. And you can see all of the things in between. And you realize it's all those contradictions. And it's the need to be right. It's the need to be in power. It's the need for all these things. There's something greater that's trying to happen. But at the moment, they seem to occupy a lot of our attention. But when you have a perspective on it and you realize no one's bad, no one's wrong, it's just different people at different levels of consciousness expressing life. And then I don't have to judge it and make it right or wrong, but I can observe it and I can discern it and decide what I stand for and what I don't stand for. And go about the business of the transformation of consciousness that I think is most beneficial for myself and those that I love and for the planet. We are, the, we are pushing the envelope of consciousness, those of us that are awake and aware and doing this work. We're not grabbing back and trying to pull an old tradition that's dead with us. Jesus knew that at the time. This, this synagogue is that it's dead. He went over and, t and tipped all the tables over in the temple. He was so frustrated. You guys don't get this. So, the hope of every authentic religious leader is to break people's addiction to dead forms of faith and lead them to the dependence on a living God. Thomas Merton knew that. Parker Palmer still writes and teaches about it. Our opportunity now is to shatter our illusions 
the, fancy, the fantasies that we have going on, reveal our true conditions, where we are, who we are, what we're doing, some total of consciousness, is this working for us or not, and go about the business within our own beingness to shift and change that, and empower us to act in ways that we win our liberation. Ernest Holmes said we are a teaching of freedom, freedom within ourselves. There's nothing to fear. My teacher said that over and over and over again. Because I needed to hear that. Because I had a lot of fear. The rites of passage. And the last piece is to, to possess our hearts. Possessing our hearts, which is so important. Thomas Merton said, if I love God, I gotta love God with my heart. If I love God, I gotta love God with my heart. And in fact, to do that, I have to have a heart. And I have to have it in my possession to give. One of the most difficult things in life today is to gain possession of one's heart in order to be able to give it. He wrote that in, 1960, in the 1960s. He died in 1968. It's still as pertinent today as it was then. You've got to take your heart back. Because what happens with this, especially for many people, it's all about acquisition and taking care of ourselves and this, this fulfillment. And, and all of that is important. When it becomes our own activity, we start to marginalize one another. We start to say, it allows people to get up and say, you know what, we need to build a wall. Or we need to not allow this group into our country anymore because they're a threat. Because our heart gets dampened. We, ha we have been deprived of these things, Merton says, and the first step in spiritual life is to get back what we have to give, to get back our hearts to return to our hearts, to be robbed of our hearts. I mean, and he says, I mean our ability to feel connected to others and implicated in their lives. It has been stolen from us. We are connected. When we were in Victoria, beautiful environment. I mean, it was lovely. Lovely. We were on this whale-watching boat and everybody on there was from Germany or Holland. I was the only English-speaking guy along with Laura on the boat. I'm like, this is like, I felt like I was in Germany. I said, look at this, I'm in Germany and I only flew an hour. It was wonderful. But all this opulence and beauty, and then walking down the street from where we stayed to down to the wharf, I think it was Friday, there's just this line of people with their sleeping bags and their hands out asking for money. And I said, look at the paradox of this. One of the most beautiful, richest environments in the world, and then here's all these folks lined up begging for money. And I thought, no different than Jesus' time. Here we are. And, you know, it's still, it's still working on me. I'm like, what do you do with that? You know, you would... But, but to honor consciousness and to not make light of it, but to allow that to work because they were strangers. I didn't know any of them. But I thought, what would Jesus do if he were here? What would the Buddha do? What would the Dalai Lama do? You know, and it's, it's, it's fascinating, but that's part of the world too. That's part of the contradiction. That's part of their journey. And how can I participate in that in a way that's mutually beneficial? It's a challenge. You know, you don't go on holiday thinking you're going to confront that. You know, I wasn't in the streets of Calcutta. I was in the streets of Victoria. But it's there. It's in a common malady in modern times, the inability to emphasize with others. So, I wanted to just talk about the practices today. Real briefly, we got a slide with practices I talked about before I left 5%. Remember the 5%? What can I give 5% more of myself to expand my experience? And so two of the things that came to mind this, uh, this week were the idea of, of curiosity. 
One of the ways to break a habit of thinking or being is to be curious. So when you have an activity that you're sort of compulsively drawn to that brings relief or whatever it may be, before you act upon it, and this could be smoking a cigarette, this could be taking the extra bottle of beer or the glass of wine that you know is probably not appropriate, but to have the curiosity or, or to say something or think something, but to have the curiosity to slow down and look at it and live in the contradiction of what's driving that? Why do I feel the need to do this right now? What need is being fulfilled? and bringing curiosity to it. It's one of the ways to amplify shift and change in our lives is curiosity. And the other piece is creativity. I have the last slide to, to put up there. John, can you put up the one with the, with the whale? When we're traveling towards our destiny in the belly of the paradox, as well as, as we all are, there's no certainties. But the creative opportunities are boundless. Resist that fact and life can get brutal. See, the creative opportunities for all of us are boundless. But if we don't think they are, life does get brutal. It gets pretty harsh. Embrace it, and life becomes a whale of a ride. We're on this whale of a ride, and when we understand, we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to know what we need to know right here and right now. What is mine to do here? What am I curious about? What is this behavior that I have that I brought with me a whole lifetime that I can just have inquiry about? And then how can I bring creativity to that and work with that? So I'm going to invite you right now. I'm going to bring Mitch back out because I want to help in a little exercise, very simple little exercise of recapturing some of our heart because it's easy to isolate ourselves from, our, from our, the people we don't know. So Mitch is going to come out. And there's a song called Loving Spirit Lives in Me that you've, you all know. I'm going to sing it. We're going to sing it once together. And then we're going to go through it four times. And it's a little exercise in opening up our hearts and connecting with one another. And we'll get the words up there. Well, we'll start. Some of you know. Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As within, so without. All I need is here and now Where there's ever let me love May I have no fear All the power, all the glory I surrender, let it be Loving Spirit dwells in me now and evermore. So what we're going to do in a moment, we are going to get those words up there. I guarantee you. I guarantee. So I'm going to invite now just the guys to sing this. All the men. Okay, guys, you ready? Take a deep breath. <clears throat> Well, I'll say the words. You, you guys know it well enough. Let's sing it. It'll, the words will come up. Loving Spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. Ready, guys? Loving Spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As within, so without. As within, so without. All I need is here and now. 
All I need is here and now. Where there's error, let me love. Where there's error, let me love. May I have no fear. May I have no fear. All the power, all the glory. All the power, all the glory. I surrender, let it be. I surrender, let it be. Loving spirit dwells in me. Now and evermore. Now and evermore. Okay, now just the girls. Loving spirit dwells in me. Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As within, so without. As within, so without. All I need is here and now. All I need is here and now. Where there's error, let me love. Where there's error, let me love. May I have no fear. May I have no fear. All the power, all the glory. All the power, all the glory. I surrender, let it be. Loving spirit dwells in me. Now and evermore. Now I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I want you to look across the auditorium and find somebody that maybe you don't know. And we're going to sing this song to one another. Okay? It'll be a lovely thing. Because it is a lovely thing, and it's really about connecting and connecting with one another at the heart level and acknowledging the truth of being. And so when you get to the point loving spirit dwells in me, it's that loving spirit dwells in thee. Loving spirit dwells in thee. This is your divinity. This is your divinity. As within, so without. All you need, all you need is here and now. Where there's error, there's error, let me love. May I have no fear. All the power, all the glory, I surrender. I surrender, let it be. Loving spirit dwells in me now and evermore. Beautiful, beautiful. And so it is. So when you're riding to work on Monday on the bus, just stand up, pick somebody out, and sing that. <laughs> Huh? And let me know how it goes. <laughs> Send me a text. <laughs>